This was a series of sermons preached by Aaron Hale at Riverside Bible Camp in the summer of 2023. The theme verse for the week was from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This morning, just to start off, we have a a brave volunteer who has agreed that I could do a brief interview uh, with him, so I'm going to invite Tanner to come. And we're uh, just going to do an interview. Uh, okay, so have any of you guys uh, seen any of Ray Comfort's stuff on YouTube? Are you familiar with his ministry a bit? Yeah? All right, so you've seen how he uses the law of God to help people understand uh, their need of Christ. So um, Tanner has agreed to let me interview him kind of following after that pattern, so this isn't something I came up with specifically, kind of borrow it from Ray Comfort. So first of all, uh, Tanner, would you say, generally speaking, uh, you are a good person? Generally, yeah. Okay. I try my best to love people and love others. Yeah, okay. I haven't like, done any crazy crimes or anything like that, either, so no. I feel like probably when you, when you get to heaven, when you stand before God, um, you probably look at you know, your life is being overall quite good. Yeah, let you into heaven, you think, or? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, what do you say that we do a test by God's standard and see if you measure up to his standard of goodness? Are you okay with that? Sure. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you a few questions, and, uh, you know, if you could just answer honestly. So, first of all, have you ever used God's name as a curse word, like, have you ever said, like, oh my God, or used the name of Jesus to swear, or anything like that? Honestly, I don't believe so. Okay, that's good. Have you ever even, in your mind, thought that, perhaps, or watched movies where maybe that's used, and you don't turn it off, you keep watching? Yep, Okay. Okay, so in that sense. Um, but that's good, I'm glad to hear that it's not a common practice. Um, but if, if someone is, is doing that, or even as we listen to music or watch things that engage in this, that's actually called blasphemy. It's, it's actually taking the Lord's name in vain and is a, is a break of his commandment. So let's carry on. Have you ever in your life stolen anything? Yep, I have. Okay. <laughs> we won't uh, ask you the specifics here, but uh, what do you call someone who, who steals things? I guess it'd be a thief. Okay. Thief. So how about, um, have you ever had hatred in your heart towards someone, or like a lot of anger, where you are just really frustrated with someone, you wish bad things upon them. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, actually, Jesus pointed out uh, in the Sermon on the Mount that even to have hatred in your heart is likened to murder. Of course, it's not the act of murdering, but the intention is there. And so, uh, in, in that sense, those who have hatred, and, and this goes for me too, would be guilty of, of the, the sin of essentially, uh, fundamentally murder. Uh, okay, one more question. Have you ever had lust towards another person in your heart, in your mind? Looked at a woman with lust? I have, yeah. Okay. And also Jesus points out that the sin of adultery actually begins in the heart. That, that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you look on a woman with lust, 
is to already commit adultery with her in your heart. So, Tanner, by your own admission, uh, you are a lying, thieving, adulterous, at heart, uh, sinner before God. And, um, and so do you think by this standard, if you stand before God one day and, and he judges you, would you have to plead innocent or guilty? I would be guilty to sin. Okay. So based on that, would, would you be sent to heaven or to hell? By that, it'd be, uh, I would make it to heaven. Okay. Well, I really appreciate your, your honesty, uh, Tanner. And, and yet, do you know that there is uh, a payment offered in your place, someone who has perfectly obeyed all of God's laws and offered to pay your debt, your offense against God, on your behalf? And have you heard of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done? Yes, I have. And I believe in him. All right, let's give Pat a round of applause for us. I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, if you haven't watched any of Break Comfort, he does a lot of street evangelism. So he goes along the street and he's witnessing to people. And this is how he starts a lot of his conversations. And it may seem a little bit harsh to us, like, why do you want to make people feel so awkward and so uncomfortable? But uh, I want to talk this morning a little bit about one more covenant from the Old Testament. And I know you're probably wondering, what covenant in the Old Testament so much? But um, we are going to, uh, Lord willing, we're going to try to wrap this all up in the last two chapels that we have. And uh, I admit I feel something as Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples. He told them that he had many more things that he wanted to say to them, but that the spirit of truth would guide them into all truth. And I'm certainly feeling an element of that this morning, a little overwhelmed with all the things I want to continue to tell you and share with you, but I'm still limited, and, and so I'm going to trust that you guys will continue to study this book, to study this word, and to pray that God, by his spirit, continue to guide you into all truth. But this morning, in the time that we have here, and I realize it's not a lot, uh, I want to look at one more important piece of this journey coming towards Christ who is the serpent crusher. And I really appreciate it. I noticed you guys listening even and answering the questions for Reach for the Top. Uh, you're, you are listening, and I really appreciate that. It, it really blesses and encourages me to, to see that, that you're paying attention. So we've, we've gone through quite a trek. You've gone through seven, several thousand years of, of biblical history right from the beginning, and we worked our way through Noah. We saw the covenant there. It was a gracious covenant, which means that God was the one to actually keep the requirements of the covenant. It was not dependent upon Noah's uh, action in any way. And the same was true of Abraham. It was also a gracious covenant because God made the promise. And remember what happened when God told him to split the animals in half, signifying what would happen to those who broke the covenant. Who passed through the animals in that covenant? You can just shout it out. God himself, Abraham, did not, indicating God was going to fulfill this covenant. It's a gracious covenant in that sense. And, and so we, we see this pattern, and we saw how those point us to Christ, who is the ultimate one. You guys got it. I mean, um, and even Asher, you were so close, so you were on the right track there with, uh, with uh, the, the ram pointing us to Christ, right? The, the sacrifice. So I'm, I'm, that's awesome you guys get that. Uh, honestly, I wasn't probably until like my late 20s until I started putting some of those things together. So the fact that you guys are already putting some of those pieces together is, is incredible. So... As the story continues, and I know you guys are familiar, well, many of you are familiar with this, but I don't want to assume that. Um, we know that God did, in fact, bless Abraham with a child of promise from his wife, Sarah. 
and the child's name was Isaac, as you guys said in the Reach for the Child. Now Isaac had two, uh, he had twins, Jacob and Esau. And when we find it, as the story continues, the promised line, the, the one through whom the Messiah would come, the serpent crusher, the one who would redeem the people, who would be the true sacrifice, is revealed it comes through Jacob's line, not Esau. And Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel by God, this is why we have the nation of Israel, it comes from Jacob, uh, the name that God gave him, indicating he would be the father of also many nations. Well, he had 12 sons, and from these 12 sons, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. So they continue to multiply, they continue to grow as the Lord said. And even today, you will hear about the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, does anybody happen to know which tribe Jesus himself came from? It's uh, very interesting. Anyone know the tribe from which Jesus came? You can shout it out. Uh, Benjamin, good guess. Benjamin is one of those noble tribes in many ways, but no, it wasn't Benjamin's tribe. Yeah? Judah. Judah, exactly. So he, he comes through the, the line of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah. You may have heard that. So it's from these tribes that uh, the Lord comes. But what happens? Well, remember how God told Abraham that one day his descendants would go into a foreign land and there be in slavery for 400 years? Well, what do you know? In time, that's exactly what happens. Um, you remember the story of Joseph? He's sold into Egypt by his brothers because they despise him. He's favored by his father. He gets the coat of many colors, and they sell him into Egypt to get rid of him. They never want to see him again. But we find is God actually, in his sovereignty, puts him there in order to deliver the people from a severe famine, a seven-year famine that's coming. And Joseph is, is, is shown this by God and interprets the dream of Pharaoh and as a result prepares for this famine. And, and so what happens is, as the famine comes upon the land, Jacob and his sons, they're starving to death. They go to Egypt for grain and what do they find? Their brother Joseph, second in command in all of Egypt. And God saves the people. They move to Egypt. And in time, the pharaohs forget about Joseph. They forget about all that he did for Egypt. And they, they, they are intimidated by this people who are increasing in number. These Hebrews, these Israelites, as they begin to be called after the father Jacob. So what they do is they say, well, we could make them slaves. And we could make them do all of our work for us. So they put the people of Israel into bondage. But God also told Abraham that something else was going to happen. He would bring them out after the 400 years, and they would come out with many possessions, much wealth. And so God raises up Moses. You know, we just sang uh, the song. It was interesting, the days of Elijah. That whole song, actually, uh, for the most part, is pulling from imagery from the Old Testament. And so if you don't know your Old Testament, you're going to miss the imagery there. But these are the days of, Mo of Moses, righteousness being restored. Well, Moses is raised up from among the people, to deliver them out. And I know you guys are familiar with this as well. Uh, God brings the plagues upon Egypt, the final plague that he brings upon them to, to, to break them, to, to cause them to let the people go, is the, the Passover lamb. God tells the people of Israel, kill a lamb, put the blood over the, the posts of your door, and I'm going to send an angel, who is referred to as the death angel. He's going to come, and wherever he does not see the blood, He's going to kill the firstborn child in that house and firstborn animals, actually. 
So the Israelite people believe God and they put the blood above their doors, as he said, and sure enough, the angel is sent and the entire nation of Egypt loses their firstborn, including Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh is brokenhearted. He's, he's undone. Finally, he says, go, get out of Egypt. Take whatever you want and just go. And so they go out of Egypt. This great multitude, these descendants of Jacob and Abraham. And God parts the Red Sea. They pass through the Red Sea. And Pharaoh, his heart is hard. And he's like, what am I doing? These are my slaves. These are my workers. I need them back. He chases after them, pursues them into the heart of the sea. And God closes the sea on top of them and drowns the Egyptian army. And Israel is delivered. And then we come to this moment in Israel's history where they approach the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And I just want to read a few verses from Exodus 19 for you. And here we have the establishment of another extremely important covenant in the Old Testament. And uh, this is probably not a passage of scripture that you hear read often at, uh, at youth camps, but uh, I, I want you to understand how this fits and how this sets the stage for Christ to come and to actually be properly understood in his coming. So Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Get down, or Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, your sojourner who is within your gates, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day 
and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And what an intense picture that we have here as God brings his people to himself at the base of Mount Sinai, and there God establishes yet another covenant with his people. But this covenant is different than the one we saw with Abraham and with Noah. It is more like unto the one that God established with Adam, which was a covenant based upon their obedience to his law. How many laws did God give to Adam and Eve specifically? Remember? How many laws did God give them? One specific law. Do not eat, right? Do not eat of the tree. Now we have a whole list of laws. And actually this covenant where God tells the people, I will protect you, I will bless you, I will cause your nation to flourish and I will drive all your enemies from you if you keep my commandments. But if you don't, I will curse you. Everything you do will be cursed. And I will bring in nations to destroy you and to carry you off. And they say, we agree to the terms. We agree to the covenant. And the covenant had actually three parts, the law of God. There was the moral law, which is what we just read, the Ten Commandments, that reflect the character of God, his holy requirements that have always been the standard, even from the garden. And it's this law that actually is written upon the heart of man. This is why you instinctively know, whether you've read the Bible or not, you know that if someone steals something from you, that's wrong. If someone murders someone, that's wrong. If someone lies to you, you know that's wrong. Why? Because the law of God has been written upon your heart. And here God gives it to his people, written not just on their heart, but on tablets of stone. And there's two other parts to this covenantal uh, law. There's the civil law, which God also gives to the people here, telling them how they should live. It is basically their legal system. What happens if someone steals from you? What happens if someone murders? What happens if someone commits adultery and and betrays their marriage vows? Uh, That's the civil law, so that's the second part. The third part of this covenant is the sacrificial law. God establishes the priesthood in Israel. He establishes the temple worship and the sacrifices and the tribe of who? Do you know who is set aside for the priesthood? Which tribe of Israel? Which son from? uh, Levites. The Levites, exactly. So the tribe of Levi, they are set aside as a tribe of priests who will carry out all the sacrifices, who will fulfill all the demands of the temple worship, and God gives them directions on how to build the tabernacle, this place where he will meet with them, which represents his presence. And this is all part of the Mosaic Covenant. And it was a covenant 
of based upon law. Keep the law, and I'll bless you. Break the law, and I will curse you. And it becomes very clear very soon that Israel cannot keep this law. And they break the covenant. In fact, when Moses is coming down from the mountain, he's received the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them. He's coming down to the camp where the people are. And what does he find? They have already fashioned a golden calf. And they are worshipping this calf as God. They, they think that they're worshipping the one true God. That's their intention. But God has said, don't make idols. And so already they've broken the first commandments before they've even begun to uh, experience this covenant life with God. And Moses throws the tablets down in anger and they are destroyed and many people are destroyed. And, and God uh, is tempted to just wipe out the nation and Moses prays, God, please have mercy. These are your people. The nations will say you brought them out here just to destroy them. And, 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 and this becomes the pattern for Israel. Cycle after cycle, disobedience, suffering, oppression, repentance, deliverance, led astray, worshiping idols, suffering, oppression, deliverance, and it's this cycle that repeats itself. But God gives a hint in Jeremiah 31, 31, that this covenant is not meant to save us. In fact, it cannot. And he says in Jeremiah 31, Behold, 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people, and no longer shall each one say to his neighbor and each to his brother, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And God says, there's coming a day when I will establish a new final covenant. And it's in this covenant that I will take out the heart of stone that is within them, this heart of rebellion. It will be removed, and in its place, I will put a heart of flesh, a love for God, a love for his word. Instead of chasing after the, the, the pagan idols of the nations around them, you will come to God, and you will know him. And then you might ask the question, well, if that's the case, if the covenant of law, the covenant of Moses, could never actually save anyone, what was the point of it at all? Why did God establish it? And, and Paul actually wrestles with this question a lot, and I know I'm already out of time, which I don't know how this keeps happening, but that clock is a little fast, so I've got a few minutes to wrap this up, and then we'll, uh, we'll close. But um, you may ask the question, what's the point then? What was the point of all of the law, all of the sacrifices, all of the priesthood, and the temple, and, and all of this, 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 these things that God gave to the people of Israel? Why? if it couldn't actually save them. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7. And he, he goes on about this. I mean, the entire book of Galatians, uh, large parts of Romans. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews uh, is basically showing how this whole system was made to prepare the way for Christ. So this is what Paul says in Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? And he's wrestling with this problem too. What's the point of the law if it doesn't save us? That the law is sin? So if the law just shows us sin and increases sin, is it bad then? He says, 
uh, by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin, Paul says. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, Paul says, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, Paul says, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And he asks another question. Well, if the commandment's good and the law is holy... Did that which is good bring death? And he says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So some of you yesterday had the skit, uh, I don't remember which cabin it was. But I remembered it, so that's good. You had the mirror, right? And uh, each staff member came in, and they looked at their reflection in the mirror, and, and went away, and then the last person came, who I forget which counselor they were supposed to be, they look terrible, they look in the mirror, and like, oh, I look terrible, and then they forget, and then they walk away. Well, the law of God is the mirror. It's meant to expose you. It's meant to show you how you will stand before God on Judgment Day. You know, the Bible says that, that it is appointed unto man to die, and then comes the judgment, which means all of us will stand, even as I interviewed Tanner, we will stand before a holy God all by ourselves, and we will be interviewed, if you will, examined according to his law. And we will not be able to put on a face. We'll not be able to put on a mask. We'll not be able to lie. He already knows all things. And we will be exposed by the law of God. So this was the purpose of it, Paul said. To show us what sin is. In fact, a definition of sin would just simply be lawlessness. That's what John says. It is, it is lawlessness to break the law of God. Some of you uh, yesterday were doing archery and axe throwing. And actually the axe throwing cost me a lot of money yesterday because you guys kept hitting the water balloon. <laughs> and then I said, I'd give you a tuck if you hit the water balloon. And so uh, you did a great job. You hit the target, right? But the idea of sin is when you throw and you miss the target. I mean, some of you have also thrown completely over the target into the grass, right? <laughs> and, uh, and that's the picture of sin. It's missing the target. The target being obedience to God's word. And so, and so the reason God gives the law, the reason for the entire nation of Israel's uh, covenant structure was so that we understand our need of a savior. We understand our guilt. We understand that we, in fact, miss the mark. And yet, here's the good news. We cannot be saved by the law. There's no amount of, of law-keeping that we can do to save us because to break one law is to be guilty of all of it. You, you only have to sin once to be guilty, right? And here's also what Paul says. He says, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them, uh, so let me back up a little bit, this is from Galatians 3.10. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. We saw that with Abraham. 
He was a man of faith. He trusted the word of God. And Paul goes on and says, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ, now here's the key, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So this is how salvation works. The law comes, it exposes us. Paul says, as I look at it, I die. Even as Tanner, you know, I appreciate his honesty. He said, well, yeah, if I stand before God and I am judged on that standard, I know I'm guilty. I'm doomed. I'm dead. I, I, I must be sent away from God. I must be sent into the, the, the prison of God, which is called hell in the Bible. But Paul says, Christ redeemed us from this curse of the law. How? He became a curse for us. By hanging on the tree, because even in the Old Testament, the Jews understood that if you hang someone on a tree, it's an indication they are cursed of God. And Jesus willingly went and hung, showing us he is going to become this curse. So that if we will simply confess our sin, John also says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you see, it's not that we have to earn this salvation. We admit our guilt before God. We admit our helplessness. We flee to Christ and we say, that is the one. That is the one who has taken my guilt. That is the one who has taken my shame. He became a curse so that I might become the righteousness of God. And there is this dual exchange that takes place. I bring my filthy rags and I place them upon Christ. He suffers and dies as though he was the worst sinner to ever live and he transfers to me his righteous robes of obedience so that God looks at me and counts me as forgiven, as perfect, as righteous in Christ. And I am given the gift of his spirit to live within me and to continue this work of changing me from one degree of glory to the next. And so we'll close there. I, uh, I know I'm out of time. And uh, even as John would say in John 3.16, I know a verse you're familiar with, but it communicates this so beautifully, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That only son. Remember the picture of Abraham? Will you give your only son, Abraham? Yes, you will. No, actually, you don't need to because I one day will give my only son. And, 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 and John goes on, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him Whoever clings to Christ, abandons their own ability to, to keep this law, then John says that you will be given eternal life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, will not be sent to God's prison, but will be given eternal life to dwell with God forever. Let's pray and we'll close there. Father, we thank you for your word. And once again, Lord, I know these are heavy subjects and uh, just so... I'm so impressed with the, the, uh, this level of maturity with these young folks and their ability to understand the questions they're asking and the things they're thinking about. I pray that they really would feel the weight of this, Lord, that even to, to imagine themselves standing there at the foot of Mount Sinai and the, the smoke and the thunder and the lightning, realizing even to, to step too close to this God is, is, is immediate death. Lord, we don't understand the, the holiness and the perfection uh, which is, is you, and, 
And in light of that, our own weakness and failure and, Lord, the fact that we all have missed the mark of your commands. But, Lord, help us not to, to uh, stay in a place of despair or hopelessness, but, Father, to see the great love with which you have offered all salvation. Christ coming into the world, stepping down from the glory of heaven, clothing himself in human flesh, and living a perfect life where we could not, and then offering himself, becoming a curse, a curse of God that we might become the righteousness of God. And so I pray each one truly hear this, Lord, and by your spirit, receive it and treasure it. We ask this all now in Jesus' name. so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. 